Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again. Addition, as the Bengals look to get off the deck after last week's disappointing loss to the Chargers and respond with a huge home win this Sunday against the 49ers. Coming up, I'll talk to NFL Network analyst Brian Baldinger, who says he expects the Bengals to be a playoff team. My one-on-one player interview is with linebacker Joe Bocci, who could play an important role down the stretch following a shoulder injury to Logan Wilson. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news, including the status of Joe Burrow's pinky finger. And finally, in our Know the Foe segment, I guarantee you will be entertained by one of the best radio announcers in the NFL, the legendary voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play, and here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Dana O'Neill's book about the Big East. I graduated from Syracuse in the mid-80s and worked there for several years after college, meaning I was watching and covering Big East basketball when Patrick Ewing played for Georgetown and Chris Mullen played for St. John's and Pearl Washington played for the Cuse. I could go on and on. I'm obviously biased, but I don't think there has ever been a better college basketball conference than the Big East from that era. And Dana O'Neill has done a wonderful job of describing what made it so special in her new book, The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History. Reading it, made me feel like I was back in my college dorm room without the hangover or dirty laundry. Now, time for this week's guests, beginning with an NFL Network analyst who spent 11 years playing offensive line for the Cowboys, Colts, and Eagles. If you love the NFL, then I hope you follow Brian Baldinger on Twitter because Baldy's breakdowns are fantastic. Brian, this week you took a look at four of Joe Burrow's throws from the Chargers game that really highlight his pinpoint accuracy. Is that the thing that stands out the most when you study Joe? I think so. I mean, he can put the ball where he wants to put it, you know, whether it's uh, against his own defense, whether it's, you know, man, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a difficult out route to Tyler Boyd or Jamar Chase. I mean, he can put the ball pretty much where he wants to put it with or without a bad finger. You know, um, it didn't seem to really bother him that much, to be honest with you. But that's impressive. It's impressive how he sees the field. It was a good quarterback duel on Sunday with him and Justin Herbert. You were an offensive lineman for 11 years in the NFL. How is the Bengals' offensive line progressing, in your opinion? Well, you know, they played the rookie Trey Hill last week, you know, for Hopkins. And so um, I think he's got a bright future. Um, But, you know, they, they, you know, Riley Reef didn't play. And so, you know, they were down two starters. So now you're into your depth a little bit. So, you know, uh, Isaiah Prince is a good player. I mean, he's probably a better third tight end than he is a starting tackle right now. And, you know, the penalties hurt him. Uh, they overcame some of them, but they had a lot of penalties on Sunday. And that's something they didn't have against Pittsburgh the week before. You know, and so uh, I thought they had played better than what they did last week. As a group, I thought they had played better. Um, it took a while to get the running game going. 
Uh, I thought that they would be a little bit better against the Chargers with that. But credit to Chargers. They, they, they played run defense really well on Sunday. NFL Network analyst Brian Baldinger is our guest. Baldy, I think you were the first national analyst to really point out how well the Bengals' wide receivers have been blocking. How vital has that been to their success? Oh, it's huge. It's a big part. Um, you know, because, if you, you know, you, you can get your five or six yards between the tackles, but if you want the bigger games, the bigger runs, you need your wide receivers. You don't have to, you know, you really don't have to knock guys down and you don't have to hold on to them, but you have to get yourself into position. And, you know, if you're going to run any kind of perimeter game, whether it's the hit screens or all those kind of things, I mean, your wide receivers have to block. And they have to be good, and they have to understand how to do it so that, you know, they're not flagged for illegal contact or pass interference. So there's a lot to it. It's not more, it's more, a lot more than just getting in front of guys. Um, you know, and then you've got to be, you just got to be careful. I saw Joe Mixon run over Jamar Chase against Pittsburgh. And, you know, for Jamar, you, you can't get rolled up. You know, you got to do your assignment, but you can't get rolled up. So there's a lot that goes to it, Dan. It's more than just, okay, he's your guy, that's your guy. You know, it's kind of how you do it is, is as much as if you can do it. Trey Hendrickson has had a sack in eight consecutive games. That's a new franchise record. On one of your recent breakdowns, you said everybody should watch him. Why? First of all, he's got a multiple of moves. It's not just one move. I mean, he's got a good stab and speed to power. He's got he's got an array of moves. He's got a plan. Uh, and then he plays with, uh, you know, really just nonstop energy. You know, I mean, he plays the game really hard, plays the game the right way, makes plays on the other side of the field. A lot of guys don't, you know, care to do that. But he plays the game really, really hard. He plays a high volume of plays. Um, I think he's got... 25 sacks in the last 27 starts, Dan. I might be off by one or two there. But, I mean, it's, 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 it's a big number. So there's a consistency there. You know, I mean, sacks are sacks, but, you know, can you get the ball out? Can you, can you get them down on third downs? Can you force a punt? Can you force a field goal versus, you know, an extension of the drive and a touchdown? I mean, those things really come into play over the course of a game or a course of a season. Brian Baldinger is our guest. You can and should follow him on Twitter at BaldyNFL. Brian, you did the Bengals preseason game at Washington this year as the TV analyst, and you pointed out something that I have never noticed before, the behavior of the Bengals on their sideline. Why do you find that to be important? Well, it's, it's an indicator that the team is pulling for each other, that the offense has got the defense excited and vice versa. And so you constantly see Mike Hilton running up and down the sideline when Joe Mixon makes a run or Jamar makes a catch, like they're pulling for each other. And it's, it, you know, it, it's not like that everywhere. And it's been like that since preseason. It's still like that, even down 24, nothing, you know, and you get the touchdown pass in the end zone of T Higgins. I mean, you could see the excitement that they weren't down. They weren't, they weren't, you know, this is the same old Bengals. I mean, that's, that's all that's over anyways, but um, I, it's just something that, you see every week uh, against Pittsburgh the week before, it was really evident. Uh, but even in the comeback last week with a chance to, you know, take the lead in, uh, in the late in the third quarter there, I mean, you could see, you could see the defense pulling for the offense. And I, I just think that that matters. You know, I mean, I, it's not about just cheerleading. It's genuine excitement and pulling for each other. The Bengals have mostly had good luck in terms of injuries. I'm knocking on wood as I say that. But Logan Wilson is going to be out for at least a couple of weeks now with a shoulder injury. How does that impact the Bengals' D? 
Well, he's really, you know, he's really emerged, you know, I mean, the interceptions are the interceptions early in the year that he had, but, you know, I mean, he's just an every down player. Um, you know, he's a very, very instinctive player. He knows where the ball is going. He knows how to get there. He makes a lot of tackles. Uh, he, to me, he's been their quarterback of the defense. Now they've had a lot of leaders on that side of the ball. Um, you know, Pratt will have to step up and, you know, they've got guys that can fill his shoes, but I think that, you know, he's a guy that has really emerged you know, early in his career right here as a guy that can lead a defense. And so there's a trickle-down effect there. You're not going to be as good with him not on the field, but I think I think they're they're capable of overcoming the loss. But it's, it's a big loss because he's a very, very good player. The 49ers are coming to town this week. They're 6-6 six and six after losing in Seattle last Sunday. What are a couple of things that a team needs to do to beat San Francisco? Well, they're, they want to run the ball. they got a rookie running back in Elijah Mitchell. Um, you know, prior to last week's loss in Seattle, he carried the ball, uh, you know, against the Rams, uh, you know, 27 times. I mean, he's a volume carrier. And don't be fooled by his size. He's got real power. I mean, you constantly see him push the pile and break tackles. He's a good contact, balanced runner. So, and they run a lot of stuff off their run game, a lot of play action. Um, you know, to get the ball down the field. George Kittle had his best game that I can remember the last two years, last week, in the absence of Debo Samuel. But if Debo plays, and, and I don't know if he's up this week or not, um, if he plays, you got to defend him as a receiver, and you have to defend him as a running back. I mean, he's he uh, he's run for four touchdowns in the last couple of weeks, and uh, they really they feed him. He's he's really a good player. He could he could be a starting running back in this league, but as a wide receiver. Prior to last week, I think he led the, the league in yards, you know, after a reception. But uh, that, that, those are things. And then defensively, they play really hard. Uh, it's a lot more than just Nick Bosa. Like, that group plays the game really hard. They're a little beat up in the secondary, and uh, Seattle made them pay for that. But they're front seven. They're eight deep, and they come after you. As it stands right now, the Bengals are the number six playoff seed in the AFC. Who do you consider to be the team to beat in the AFC right now? And do you view the Bengals as a legitimate playoff contender? Well, I don't think anybody's better than the Patriots right now. I mean, they proved that again on Monday night against Buffalo in the way that they played, uh, in the way that they've been playing for the last seven weeks. Um, so I think they're the cream, the, the cream in the AFC, but it's, it's wide open to me. I, I think the Bengals are a playoff team. I said that from the very beginning. It won't surprise me if they win the division. Um, obviously, it's a very difficult division. Cleveland coming off their bye will give it their best shot. So I don't know that anybody can lay claim right now. Baltimore certainly has their struggles uh, going on, has has Pittsburgh. Uh, and Cincinnati, you know, as you know, they've struggled here. They've been up and down, you know. And so it's everybody's division, but I, I expect the Bengals to be a playoff team. I, I think they're built to be a playoff team, and I think they're built to win a playoff game. Brian, I love Baldy's breakdowns. It's one of my favorite things on Twitter. Thanks so much for your time and keep up the great work. I appreciate you, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good luck this week. Here's hoping Brian's playoff forecast comes true. By and large, the Bengals have been one of the healthier teams in the NFL this year, but the one position group that's been hit hard by injuries is linebacker. Jordan Evans and Dakeem Davis-Gaither are both on injured reserve, and last week, Marcus Bailey and Logan Wilson had to leave the game with shoulder injuries. Wilson is going to miss at least a few weeks. Second-year pro Joe Bocci stepped in and did a solid job against the Chargers. 
I spoke to Joe this week. Joe, you took over at linebacker when Logan Wilson hurt his shoulder last week and did very well. You had the third highest grade on defense, according to Pro Football Focus. Do you feel like you showed your teammates and coaches that they can count on you while Logan is out? Uh, I hope so. I mean, obviously, Logan has been a great player this year. You know, he's been on a roll. Um, and I knew if my time ever come, you know, you got to you gotta take advantage of that because you might not get another one. So, you know, my opportunity came up in, a, you know, a tough circumstance with how Marcus and Logan both went down. Um, and I just had to take advantage of it. So hopefully, you know, I gained the trust of my teammates. I imagine we will see you in there quite a bit against the 49ers this week, a team that loses, uses a lot of misdirection, a team that's got a great fullback in Kyle Juszczyk, a team that's got a great tight end in George Kittle. Is this an especially demanding matchup for a linebacker? This one is one of those games they try and get your eyes as a linebacker, you know, with all the pre-snap motion and moving around. But, um, you know, with a good week of preparation, you know, we got smart players defensively. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be a fun game. I think they're going to try and make it physical, which is uh, right up our alley. So I think I think we're ready for it. We're talking to linebacker Joe Bocci. Last week you got your most defensive snaps in a game, but you've been a key contributor on special teams all year. What's the key to earning the trust of special teams coordinator Darren Simmons? <laughs> you got to get on, um, you know, his good side. He's got to trust you. Um, because special teams means a lot, which is, um, you know, totally right. And, you know, just extra extra time with him, you know, asking him questions, being multiple, being able to do different things, um, just showing that he can trust you out there um, because, like I said, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. So if you can gain his trust, that's a good thing. This is your second NFL season. You spent time with the Saints and the Eagles a year ago as a rookie. What was the most eye-opening thing about your first exposure to the NFL? You know, everyone kind of gets that initial, um, you know, wow moment of, all right, yeah, this guy's really good at football. You know, <laughs> it's different than uh, the college level. And, you know, when I was down there with the Saints, just going through camp, there was so much talent on that team from offense to defense. You know, guys like Drew Brees, obviously, Cam Jordan, um, guys who've been doing it a long time. And uh, they had a guy, Demario Davis, who was in my position, linebacker, obviously, who's, you know, had a hell of a career. So, you know, he was a good guy to look up to. There's a Craig Robertson who was another older vet. Um, but there were just guys down there who have done it for a long time, and that definitely opened my eye. What, if anything, changes for you this week in terms of your preparation with Logan Wilson out? Nothing will change. Um, you know, like I said, you got to prepare every week like you're going to be the guy. And uh, last week that happened to me, and I had to be ready to go. You know, no one's going to, you know, feel bad that, you know, I had to get thrown out there and didn't know everything. You know, I, I had to go out there. I had to own up to it and, you know, play football. Um, you know, once you get back out there, it's like riding a bike again. You, know, you start playing football, um, start having fun with it. And, you know, I enjoyed it last week. You know, obviously I hope that Logan and Marcus are able to, you know, have a speedy recovery. But, you know, in the meantime, I got to go out there and I got to play well. We're chatting with linebacker Joe Bocci. You played college football at Michigan State, but you are an Ohio kid. You're from the Cleveland area. Is it exciting for you and your family to be playing close to home in the NFL? I think it's huge. Um, you know, it's nice to have my parents come down for the games on the weekend, only be a three-and-a-half-hour drive or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's huge. You know, just like college, they enjoyed coming to everything. Um, even when I was a little kid, you know, they went everywhere. AU basketball, travel baseball, whatever it was, they were at everything. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see this, um, you know, go all the way to, you know, my job really and, you know, a professional football player, and they're still able to come. So it's definitely a benefit. Based on your Twitter feed, you are a very proud Spartans grad. What did the win over Michigan mean this year? You know, that just describes Michigan State, you know, never giving up. Um, you know, they were down whatever it was. It might have been 11. I can't remember exactly. But, 
you know, just constantly staying with it, staying with it, and, uh, you know, eventually coming through, just being relentless, and that's, uh, you know, Coach Tucker's thing there right now. So that was a great moment, but then Michigan did come back to win the Big Ten, and now they've qualified for the four-team playoff. Does seeing Michigan in the top four make your skin crawl? <laughs> uh, it's definitely not something that, uh, you know, my skin enjoys to see, but, you know, they're, they're a hell of a football team if you actually watch them. Um, you know, I think they had a great game playing against Ohio State. You know, like you said, I'm an Ohio guy. I had one of my buddies, the GA at Ohio State, so I watched that game closely, and you know, Michigan was a better football team that day. And I still think, uh, you know, they got a chance. Obviously, they got Georgia, which is a tough matchup. So, you know, we'll see what they're made of. But, you know, it's good to see the Big Ten, though, you know, a two-spot in the playoffs. Although you can root for the University of Cincinnati yes. because defensive coordinator Mike Tressel had the same job when you were playing at Michigan State. Yeah. Um, you know, and Tressel was, you know, the best to me. Um, you know, he was hard on me like my dad was growing up. And, you know, I really appreciated that when I was in college. And obviously he's doing a hell of a job here at Cincinnati. Um, I also have ties with Bama. Uh, my girlfriend's older brother, who was a Spartan under Trestle at, at a point, Max Bola. He uh, is his second year here with Bama. So, you know, I'm kind of tied between the two. I went to the national championship last year because of Alabama. You know, I got Coach Trestle on the Cincinnati side. So that will definitely be a fun game to watch. You did a fantastic job last week. Best of luck this week, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Joe tied for the team lead in tackles last week with nine. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now time to discuss the latest Bengals news and Sunday's matchup against the Niners with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lapham sounds like Trey Hopkins and Riley Reef will be back this week. That's obviously good news if that's the way it plays out. But linebacker Logan Wilson is definitely out. We don't know about Marcus Bailey yet. How did Joe Bocci do last week stepping in? And how big of a challenge is it to play linebacker against this opponent, the 49ers? Yeah, the 49ers, uh, they, they do a lot of things to try to, you know, get you not trusting your eyes as such. Um, th- their whole thing is, uh, you know, they just they try to uh, out, out leverage you, out gap you with formations and motion and window dressing. And they try to get you to play cat and mouse a little bit and, and, and guess, you know. And, and, I mean, again, the legendary Paul Brown would say, we got him guessing. When you have the defense guessing, that puts us in a good position. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the the mindset there. So, yeah, it'll be a challenge. I mean, these guys run the football very creatively. I think they've got uh, very big athletic offensive linemen that are built to run the football. Uh, they, they utilize the tight end fullback package as well as anybody in the National Football League. Um, check is really, really good. Uh, can block, can run, can catch. Kittle is a dominantly physical uh, specimen, you know, uh, probably the best blocking tight end in football, and he's a, he's a great receiver as well because he's such a great blocker. So it's a snootful for any linebacker, and uh, for Joe Bocci to be technically his first start as such, you know, at, at, as a linebacker, It'll it'll be a it'll be a challenge for sure. Whether it's he or, or Bailey, or, very inexperienced Bailey, obviously. And if uh, if Bailey's still kind of licking his wound a little bit there, that that could be a, a tough deal because it's this is gonna um, you're gonna have to make 
quick reads and get downhill and be physical in so doing against this uh, this offensive football team. There's no question. Now time for a Joe Burrow pinky update. I feel like we should have a breaking news sound effect here. You know, dun, <laughs> yeah. dun, dun, dun. Right. Joe hurt his finger on the fifth play from scrimmage offensively last week. Before that, he was 2 for 2 for 17 yards. After that, 22 for 38, that's 58%, 283 yards, one touchdown, two picks. One of the interceptions was a perfectly thrown ball 31 yards downfield that could have been a 71-yard touchdown, but Jamar Chase obviously bobbled it and it turned into an interception. With all of that in mind, how concerned are you about the status of Joe Burrow's pinky finger? Yeah, to me, it's sometimes during the heat of the battle when you have the injury, and my experience is adrenaline, you know, kind of uh, eases a lot of concerns there. You know, you don't really know how badly you're hurt. Um, Now it's going to be, you know, hours, days, a few days. Uh, The injury can change. There can be a lot more swelling, a lot lot of change in the injury. Um, And then you have to decide – how are you going to address it? You know, will you be able to throw? I don't think he's going to do much practicing this week. I'd be surprised if he doesn't throw a football till Friday. That wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, I think they want to treat it and get it in as good a shape as they possibly can. And the best way to do that is to is to not, you know, exert it over and over and over again throwing a football. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, how how the whole thing uh, how the whole thing plays out, how it reacts, but. That 71-yard touchdown pass would have made him 371 yards passing, two touchdowns and interception. Instead of a quarterback rating of 70, it would have been over 100, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's been. So the ripple effect of that play was huge, obviously, not just to Joe's stats but to the outcome of the football game as well because it was 9 nothing at that time. That would have made a big difference, a big explosive play, get momentum and all that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it's – it's going to be interesting. The, the, the thing that happens on a dislocation, because I've dislocated fingers, I dislocated my elbow, um, it, it wants to, once it subluxes and you have the collateral damage of the stretch or tear or partial tear of ligaments, tendons, whatever, it wants to continue to sublux. It wants to go back out. And that's, that's the pain that he was feeling. That's the problem he was feeling without anything to you know help kind of support that from not happening. So... I have a feeling that at this from during the course of the week here, he'll probably find a glove that will help that some, um, and you know then you just have to get used to throwing you know with a glove. I don't know how much he's done of that. I don't know if he's had to do a whole lot of that during the course of his career, uh, high school, college, when he was at Ohio State, probably not much at LSU, obviously. But throwing with a glove can be a little different. Although some quarterbacks swear by it, they they say they get a better grip the football with the gloves so everybody's you know teach their own everybody's different in that regard but it's going to be interesting to see what what Joe Burrow comes up with but I do think really I think maybe you know the only guy of the injured players keeping everything crossed I can on a woozie I mean if if Logan Wilson's the only guy that doesn't play that'd be pretty good Mm -hmm. you know if, if they if they get all the walking wounded back but like we've always talked about Dan you know uh being available at the start of the game and being available after you've taken 20 or 30 snaps in the game when you have an injury of some sort, can you exacerbate it? Can you re-injure it? Can all those things happen? Yeah, they can happen. So you just never know until you get out there and start playing. As I mentioned off the top, it looks like Hopkins and Reef will be back. Did Trey Hill and Isaiah Prince struggle pretty badly last week? 
Yeah, I think it was – I don't think the offensive line as a whole played very well. I thought it was one of their um, least effective efforts, efforts of the season. And, um, you know, they just so happened to go up against a, a team that gave you a lot of different looks and uh, personnel groupings and, and the recognition and communication was a big deal, and it starts from that point person, that center out in the offensive line. And there was some communication problems. There was some recognition problems. And obviously, uh, the Chargers realized that uh, very, very rapidly. So they started bringing more than they normally do. Um, or not bringing more, but blitzing more, a higher percentage. They weren't bringing more than five people necessarily, but you'd come up in a configuration and, uh, you know, eight guys could come. Which five are coming and who, which ones aren't? And they did a good job of changing that up and, and, and testing uh, the communication, the, uh, the, the identification, communication, and adaptation of rules for blitz pickups and pass protections and that sort of thing. And they fell short as well as, uh, you know, penalties. This team prides itself on lack of penalties. I mean, they're still first in the National Football League by a, by a wide margin. I mean, um, they've only got uh, 50 penalties on the season. There's only two other teams uh, that can, that can or make that claim um, that have uh, – uh, 50 pen- less than 60 penalties, and the Bengals have the fewest at 50. And then they're uh, number one in fewest penalty yards uh, generated against them too. And there's only a couple of teams that that have uh, less than uh, 600, 500 yards in penalty yards. And the Bengals are sitting there at 424. So uh, they, they've done a good job in that regard. But last week, seven penalties, you know, two on the center, one on the right tackle. And you know, two holding penalties and illegal use of hands to the face masks. Those, mm. those are brutal. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 took away um, good gains. They took away significant plays. They put you off schedule when you were on schedule. So, obviously, they had their struggles. Let's stick with injuries. Trey Waynes and Deontay Smith have been cleared to practice. The Bengals have three weeks to either activate them or rule them out for the rest of the year. Let's talk about Trey Wayne specifically. He missed the first three games of the year due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in training camp. He played pretty well in his first game back against Jacksonville, and then he hurt the other hamstring in his second game back against Green Bay. So now he's missed seven in a row. Do you expect him back this week, and can he help? That's that's a puzzling uh, situation <laughs> there because he hasn't had a history of injuries, uh, hamstring injuries in particular. And now he's got hamstring injuries in, in both areas, and it makes you wonder a little bit when you pectoral – Hamstring, other hamstring. I don't know if you're taking whatever supplement you're taking, or maybe you should rethink what you're doing. If there's been some sort of a change in that regard, that's that's maybe altered uh, the way your body's reacting to whatever it is. And I'm not saying he's doing anything illegal. I'm just saying that sometimes bodies don't respond well to certain diet changes or additives or whatever supplements, whatever guys do. Um, but with that said, if he's healthy, I think he can help. You know, I really do. I mean, I think the guy can help. And, and honestly, if he's been a pro, a pro's pro, he's taken mental rep after mental rep, and he's kept up with everything they've done in terms of adjustments and problems they've had and how those problems have been rectified and all those sort of things. So hopefully, you know, it won't be like uh, he's been in a closet somewhere and, and locked up and not understood what's been going on uh, through this whole process. So uh, if he can go out there and, and get it done physically, he's a – 
he's a talented guy. I mean, he can run. He's long. He's got. I mean, they paid him a ton of money for for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if he can if he can um, get out there and and remain healthy, that would uh, that would be a big plus. Can, particularly if uh, if Awuzie is not injured, if that foot injury isn't so severe that you know he might even be able to suit up and help some. Um, that would be a that would be a, a, a very big addition. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that they'd necessarily um, activate him if Awuzie is showing signs of being totally ready. They may give him a little more practice time to adapt. But in a quote emergency situation, it'd be good to have a guy that you paid a ton of money to that you had a lot of confidence in. If in fact you know he's healthy, and I would think seven weeks. I mean, that's a good stretch to get your get your hamstring right. So. Hopefully that's uh, that wouldn't be an issue anymore. But as we know, the, the weather's going to start to change. It's not as it's not supposed to be as cold on Sunday as it's been, you know, in the early stages of the week here. But sometimes in that that cold, damp weather, it's tough for some of these you know tightly muscled guys to get themselves loose. Here's a good stat, courtesy of our friend Paul Daner Jr. from the Athletic. In the Bengals, seven wins, they have five turnovers. Mm-hmm. In their five losses. They have 14 turnovers. So for all the analysis that we do and everybody else does, is it as simple as when they take care of the ball, they win, and when they don't, they lose? Yeah, although they had, you know, they had a minus turnover ratio in Baltimore and won by forty-one <laughs> twenty. There's always something that's like, what? There's a, there's, you're always going to find you know, an exception to the rule. But in general, I mean, in their last two losses, they've had seven giveaways. Seven turnovers in a two-game stretch. It's going to be hard to beat anybody, and and they they didn't, <laughs> they didn't beat them. So uh, it is holding on to the football. Ball security is a big deal, and the thing that uh, you know I took notice of as I was looking through numbers in the early stages of preparation, 49ers have forced 25 fumbles, number one in the National Football League. 25 fumbles in 12 games, over two a game on an average basis. Yeah. I mean that's that's like that's being aggressive in that area. Obviously, I mean there's some luck involved with all of that, or bad luck for the the players that are losing those footballs. But man, they, that's obviously a focus of attention, and to have 25 of them. They've only recovered eight, but you know that's still a significant uh, significant number, and it puts them in in, in in amongst the league leaders in the league. They're tied for sixth with eight fumble recoveries. But man, 25 hit the ground. Whew. Man, that's you, you better better secure the pig because you know lost a couple last week and both of them were very very painful. So you're going to have to don't any, anything worse than even Steven in the turnover ratio. You're starting to play with fire a little bit. The 49ers were a Super Bowl team two years ago. Then they were injury plagued last year. Three different guys started at quarterback. They went six and ten. I think people expected them to bounce back with a big year this year. They've had some more injury problems. They're six and six. How good are the 49ers this year? That's a that's a great question. You know, they on paper and they, they look like. And when you watch, you watch their scheme, but their schemes offensively and defensively. You think, oh, this is, this is a football team that has some talent. And it's pretty well put together. But man, it just hasn't. Uh, like you said, Dan, it hasn't parlayed. You know, they've four of their six losses are by uh, seven points or less. So they they've been in a bunch of close games and haven't haven't really uh, taken full advantage of it. I think I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a quandary. I mean that guy to me, he'll 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 make some plays, and then he'll play some games where it's like, yeah, Jimmy G, man, he can he can get it done. 
And then he'll just look, he'll look terrible. I mean, you'll see him stare his target down. I mean, just stare it down. And, and he tries to, it looks to me like sometimes he tries to keep everything between the numbers because I don't think he trusts his arm strength. Hmm. I, to me, he doesn't like to go outside as much as most quarterbacks. Now, you, we had a guy that we saw last week, Justin Herbert. I mean, he'd, he'd fire the heck out of it from the right sideline to the left sideline and not worry about it. But I, I think Jimmy G feels more comfortable uh, look, looking in the middle of the football field between the numbers and making reads there, and the ball's not in the air you know, as much. And I think he has a pretty good understanding of the depth perception and the touch to put on the ball over the linebackers in front of the state. He seems to to want to throw the football in, in those uh, in those particular areas. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's thrown into uh, he's thrown into coverage some, you know, I mean, he'll he, he hasn't he hasn't been totally clean in that regard. So I, I think I think he's the key to the football game, particularly if the Bengals can uh, if the Bengals can can get a lead and and uh, impact the middle of the football field and and. Uh, make make Jimmy G throw the ball to the outside where he's not real comfortable, and and then if he does throw the ball in the middle of the football field into crowds, which he has done some, then I think that's a that's a recipe for success. But the first thing they have to do is uh, control the, the running game, or they may see Shanahan do what Belichick did, only throw it three times in a game. I mean, it would not shock me that it's happened before. I mean, the 49ers have won games where Jimmy G's thrown the ball less than 20 times, you know, like 17 times or something like that. If they get that running game going, that wouldn't have stunned me at all if they if they just keep trying to keep the Bengals in the meat grinder and keep Joe Burrow and all his explosive weapons on the Bengals' sideline. Is Kyle Shanahan the best play designer slash play caller in the NFL? I think he's, I think he's right there. I, I've heard too many people give him that kind of praise. That too many people that that I respect have a pretty good knowledge and understanding of what's going on. Um, I do think that his his running attack is very, very uh, creative. Um, it's it's very, very multiple. It's very, very diverse. There's physicality to it. Uh, there's a little deception to it. You know, there's a lot of a lot of window dressing to it. But the bottom line is, he still wants to thump you. You know, he he still wants to put it to you that way. And then I do think that, that he does a great job. And, you know, I've heard this for, for years about him, that as far as um, creating plays that, that run his receivers open, he's as good as the rest in the league. Instead of the receiver having to make a great move on a route to create separation, he creates separation by formation configuration, mm-hmm. uh, patterns of the routes and all that sort of thing. And guys just, you know, will bust open. So, uh, yeah, he's he's obviously very, very smart football-minded guy. He's got a beautiful mind for the game <laughs> of football, as they say. On defense, they have Nick Bosa, 12 sacks. They've got linebacker Fred Warner, first-team All-Pro last year, highest-paid middle linebacker in the NFL now. But they're 20th in points allowed. How good is their defense? <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like you, you look at it, and Bosa, Bosa is. It, it's interesting because, uh, to my recollection, uh, Joe Burrow went west with Bosa to rehab. Mm-hmm. Nick and Joey, you know, Nick in particular. Nick just had his surgery as well, so they're very that they're very close. And uh, Joey Bosa didn't play much in that football game at all. I mean, he went out with concussion protocol and got cleared, but they just kept him out. Uh, you know, as a as a precaution more than anything they ended up didn't really need him but 
yeah, Nick Bosa is is a guy that is talented. They they rush him from both edges. He's got some uh, athletic versatility to him in that regard. I think Armstead can be a, a dangerous guy. You know, Warner is a very very athletic linebacker who's seen a lot. You know, during the course of his career, it, it, it's it is all very interesting. You know, the the thing about the 49ers, like we talked about earlier, Dan, the Bengals turnover uh, issues. The Bengals are minus two. 49ers are minus four. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've only got one fewer giveaway than the Bengals, and uh, they've got uh, three fewer takeaways than the Bengals. So that's been their problem in football games as well, is that turnover ratio. And they've, they've gotten themselves penalized quite a bit. I mean, 73 for 783 yards as opposed to 50 for 424 yards against the Bengals. So mistakes in, ter- in the form of turnovers, penalties, mental errors, things of that nature have hurt the – uh, the San Francisco 49ers is probably as much as any team in the National Football League as well. Um, I mean, you look at them defensively, their numbers say, I mean, they're eighth in the NFL defensively in first downs allowed, ninth in third down conversion percentage allowed. Uh, they're sixth in, in yards allowed per game, 10th in yards allowed per play. Uh, they're tied for fourth in, in fewest uh, passing yards allowed. Uh, they're eighth in sacks per pass attempt. You know, like I said, they forced 25 fumbles and recovered eight of them. But then you look at it's all about points. And, you know, maybe their offense has put them in in bad field position. Special teams has put them in bad field position. So so sometimes when you're just looking at paper and you don't have an understanding of the flow of, you know, on a play-by-play basis of the team, some things just don't add up, you know. And uh, I I will say, though, that, that the other thing is you have Bosa with 12 sacks and then you drop off the face of the earth to like three and a half, I think, is the next one. Yeah, uh, Key's got three and a half, and Armstead's got three. I mean, you know, you look at look at the Bengals. They've they've got Hendrickson with eleven and a half, Hubbard with uh, seven and a half, Hill has four uh, four and a half, Ogan Joby has four and a half. I mean, they've got they've got a little bit more balance in their pass rush instead of just you know totally dependent on one guy. So, yeah, it's all I can say is on a week to week basis in the NFL though. It, it's all about matchups in that in that specific game, and and uh, the early flow of the football game is going to have a big bearing on on how this thing transpires. There's no question about it. Last thing, the Bengals announced on Wednesday that Kay Adams from Good Morning Football on the NFL Network will be the ruler of the jungle this Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. I love Good Morning Football. I think if you could bottle the chemistry between the hosts, you'd be a very wealthy person. Are you a Good Morning Football guy? Absolutely. Every single morning, uh, and so is my wife Lynn. I mean, we get up early. Uh, you know, we're early risers anyway. Mm-hmm. But we'll put that on, you know, right away as we're doing whatever we're doing, and and uh, and check it out. Um, and she's become a huge Good Morning Football fan, as have I from the from the start of it. I I think that uh, they're com- uh, they're able to mix entertainment and information mm-hmm. about as well as anybody. Correct. I mean, it is just. When, when you you really have to you know pay full attention and don't get uh, too swept away with sometimes the way they deliver because there is some good information in there but boy if you want to if you want to start smiling in the morning that's a good show to watch too because they they feed off each other exceptionally well and and I do think that uh, there is there's great great chemistry amongst uh, amongst all of them and, and even when they they'll you know they'll bring in if, if the guy one's off and they bring one in, the, the other two or three will pick it up, and it, it just works. It just mm-hmm. works no matter 
what what three or four people are on the set for them. They they do a heck of a job. I, I'm very impressed with what they do every day. It's okay if you're listening. Open invitation. The home radio booth would welcome you <laughs> on Sunday after you lead the Who Day chant prior to the game. Come join your friends and fans, Dan and Dave, in the Bengals radio booth. No question about it. K is okay. More than okay. K is special K. Last but not least, it's time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we check in with Greg Papa, who joined Lap and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Greg graduated from Syracuse one year after I did and has become a legend in the San Francisco area. At various points, he's called games for the Golden State Warriors, San Francisco Giants, Oakland A's, and Oakland Raiders before becoming the play-by-play voice of the San Francisco 49ers. I've been fired by every team in town. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the deal, right? (laughs) I'm looking forward to Sunday. It's going to be a great football we think so, too. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you as well. So, Greg, you called the Super Bowl a couple of years ago as the voice of the 49ers. Then San Fran had a bunch of injuries last year, including one to quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, and the team went to, went, uh, fell to 6-10. and 10. I expected the 49ers to bounce back in a big way this year and be one of the NFL's best teams, but that hasn't been the case. They're 6-6. Six and six. Why aren't they better? I agree with you. I thought the roster actually was deeper, Dan, uh, starting this season than it was leaving Miami on uh, Groundhog's Day night in, uh, in 2020 after the 2019 year. Uh, injuries not quite as dramatic as the 2020 year. And the main injury, obviously losing Jimmy was bad, but you know, losing George Kittle and Nick Bosa, who's an absolute game wrecker, went out in week two. But this year... They lost Jason Barrett in the first game in Detroit. They lost Raheem Mostert in that game. They, they still got off to a 2-0 start. Uh, they lost a home game against Green Bay that they probably should have won. A Seattle game, I think this is kind of the tipping point of the year. They controlled the Seattle home game in early October, and then Garoppolo got, got hurt uh, late in the uh, first half of that game, couldn't play the second half, and uh, Trey Lance had to come in. And they had some special teams mistakes. They lost that game. And then Trey had to start the next game. And they lost that game in Arizona. And then they came out of the bye. And they had a game in, against Indianapolis at home. And it was just an absolute, we don't get rain uh, this time of the year in October. Uh, but it was one of those uh, ridiculous rainstorms we had. It adversely affected Jimmy. He didn't play well in that game. We lost that game on Sunday Night Football. And then the season was kind of at the crossroads. We were 2-3 and three going to Chicago, and Jimmy played a great game, especially in the second half. We won that game. Debo Samuel had a big game, had a real bad game in Arizona the following week. And then they got hot. They won three in a row, and they really reestablished the identity of the Super Bowl team, Dan, which is heavy run game. We're talking 44 runs, 42 runs, 39 runs in three straight games. And when you run the ball like that and pick up third downs at the clip they were picking them up at, about half, they were keeping the ball damn near 40 minutes of the game. And the defense wasn't on the field much. They were fresh. They had three quality wins. This game in Seattle, they were sloppy. They didn't have Debo Samuel. They didn't have Fred Warner. They turned the ball over too much. But uh, they're kind of wildly inconsistent. But I would say they are extremely capable. They are capable, maybe not quite to be at the level of that 2019 team, 
because they haven't had the bookend to, to, to Nick this year with D Ford hardly playing. But they're still they're still capable. And on any given Sunday, they can beat anybody in the NFL. But I think on any given Sunday, they could lose to any team in the NFL. Well, that sounds like a lot of teams in the NFL this year. It's crazy, isn't it? It really is. I mean, in, in the AFC, 12 of the 16 teams in the conference have a 500 record or better. It is, it's just all bunched up. It's nuts. Kyle Shanahan, is he an offensive guru? Is he an offensive wizard? I mean, everybody talks about his running game, how he out-leverages people, out-gaps people with formations, motions, window dressing, all that sort of thing, and how he schemes wide receivers open in his passing game. Is he a guru? A lot of well, questions. He's Mike Shanahan's son, Dave. So he grew up. He was in diapers learning this stuff. And Mike, uh, who I, I called the Raiders games for 21 years. So I saw a lot of him in the AFC West, obviously. And uh, he was a coach when you were uh, broadcasting against him or playing against him or coaching against him. You feared him. Mike was that good of a play designer and play caller. Kyle has taken the Shanahan system, which is that outside zone, Alex Gibbs, the old line coach going back years ago. Uh, and he's taken it to another level with pre-snap motion. Uh, the way they get the edge, uh, they have a blocking scheme called 18-Zoro and 19-Zoro. On 18 to the right, 19 to the left, which was a, t- a toss sweep action. Uh, but they do it with, with two special players at fullback and tight end. And they're the highest paid players at their positions in the history of the NFL. And Juszczyk and is now on his second contract. Uh, you guys know him, obviously, well from Baltimore. Uh, just a great player. And he plays so many different positions. So, And then you got George Kittle as well. The tight ends all block. They get to the edge as well as any team in football, uh, whether it's the pin and pull game, which a lot of teams are doing. But I'll tell you what they're doing, Dave, is they're, uh, they're doing what I call uh, positionless football. And we kind of saw this in – in basketball years ago with Miami and the Miami Heat. And, you know, Dan mentioned my association with the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors took it to a, another level where you have like players of all the same size and you can switch it all. Uh, the, the 49ers, when you take the five offensive linemen and the quarterback out of the equation, and in some systems the quarterback's live in the run game, but take those six stationary players and you go to the five eligibles, what Kyle has done is cross-train running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, where they're all capable of lining up at any position, whether it's the X, the Z, he calls the slot position the F, but that F could be a wide receiver when they go 11 personnel, three wide receivers, or it could be a fullback, or it could be a tight end, or it could be anybody. So they they cross-train their players to uh, play a multitude of positions. So it's not just scheming like we're going to get to the edge and we're going to block this differently, but they also get you, especially in man teams. Uh, and then you're going to see with Debo Samuel, I think he'll come back and play. They have this package called the Deadpool because Debo sounds like Deadpool and it's cool. And they, they motion the Z wide receiver, which is what Debo is, the flanker, the move guy, the jet sweeper. And all of a sudden he comes in the offensive backfield and he lines up as a running back. And they run him. And sometimes he's the lead blocker. Sometimes he's the, the halfback. And he follows a, a lead blocker. It could be anybody. So, yeah, Kyle has just gotten so sophisticated. And they do it with tempo. They do it with blocking schemes. They do it all. But right now, what I think he's doing more than ever, and Debo is the kind of the centerpiece of it all, Lap, is they've gone positionless football right now. 
Huh, interesting. Yeah. Our guest is Greg Papa, the voice of the 49ers. So San Francisco paid a hefty price in the offseason to move up in the draft to select Trey Lance. Did they do it because Jimmy G can't stay healthy or because of his limitations as a player? Yes and yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, 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 I mean they, they, Jimmy's the greatest guy in the world. You know, he would fit in right with us on the quad in Syracuse. He's a salt-of-the-earth guy from Chicagoland. Love the guy. Uh, and he has won. When, when this team has had a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo, they've won at a very high percentage. You can win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. But Jimmy makes a, 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 an error or two a game uh, that is befuddling. And he did it twice this last game. Uh, threw an interception to Bobby Wagner that was just hard to understand. It was a second window throw. He was supposed to wait till George Kittle passed Bobby Wagner, and he didn't. And he threw Bobby Wagner the ball. Then he threw one later in the game that was even worse, where George Kittle was completely covered with a, a thicket of Seattle defenders, and he, and he overthrew him. He did it the week before when he threw one right to Harrison Smith. He turns the ball over a little bit too much, and he, 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 he frustrates Kyle in that regard. Now, all that being said, uh, I would not anticipate Trey playing in this game, Dan. I mean, it, maybe if they get into a, a down-and-distance goal line, I'm talking extreme red zone, uh, you know, third, fourth down, short yardage, you could see them jump into what they call Bison personnel because he's from North Dakota State, which is the Bisons, the program there. Uh, but they haven't done that really since he started the game in Arizona back on October the 10th. So I don't anticipate that. But they, they wanted to upgrade at that position. They really wanted to get Matthew Stafford. They were, they were all in on Stafford. It's just Stafford wanted to go play in, in L.A. Uh, he wanted that lifestyle down there. So once they lost out on him, uh, they were into Deshaun Watson a little bit, but that obviously went sideways in the offseason pretty quickly after that. So they moved on. But I, 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 they, up, they felt like they had to upgrade uh, to keep up with the rest of the league and the, and the quality of play. Now, all that being said, you know, to make another basketball analogy, Trey is a one-and-done guy. He played one year of college football in one other game. He's a long way away. He only had 318 pass attempts last year at a lower level of college football. He's a smart guy. He'll work his ass off. He's in his iPad constantly. But he's not ready right now to take this team over in my uh, my concern would be if he's ready next year to do it because uh, he's got a lot to learn. And this is a ready-made team to, to to be a playoff team and to turn it over to a young quarterback. Now, your guy's different. He's just so skilled and so ready. Um, and, you know, he didn't play a lot either. But uh, Trey's got some, some room to grow. So to answer your question, Jimmy gets hurt a lot, but Jimmy also hurts the team a little bit too much by throwing the ball to the wrong color jerseys. Let's talk about the, the defensive side of things a little bit. You look, you look at some of the numbers, eighth in the NFL and first downs allowed. Um, they're uh, ninth and third down conversion uh, percentage defensively. Sixth in uh, total yards per game. Tenth in yards per play. Tied for fourth and fewest passing yards allowed. Uh, eighth in sacks per play. They forced 25 fumbles. That's a stunning number. 25 fumbles forced leads the NFL. Eight recoveries tied for sixth. Are the numbers, uh, are, they, are they true, or is the defense playing like the numbers say, or how is the defense playing? Yeah, some categories are good, some they're not. The 25 forced fumble, they, they forced four fumbles the other game, the other day in Seattle, Dave, but then they recovered two of them. So they've got 25 forced, just eight 
recovered. So they've, they've had a lot of bad bounces on that. Uh, the one guy who's forced, I think, seven of them is Josh Norman. Right. And uh, in Chicago, they have what they call the, the peanut punch and Charles Tillman punching the ball out. I call it the Norman knockout is what he does here. And he's adept at it. But really, that's the one thing he does well. He has struggled. So one thing you have to factor in, Dave, is the number of defensive PI calls, defensive pass interference calls, is alarmingly high. Okay. And um, the reason that they, their offense in the running game has been able to cover for them, this is not the 2019 49ers defensively. I think this is the 2019 49er running game at some point. The passing game is a little bit inconsistent. They do miss Emmanuel Sanders off that Super Bowl team. But this is not a sledgehammer defense. That defense in 2019, it's what I call the, their, their, their pass rush group is what I call the gold rush, which is when I first remembered 49er football going back to the early 70s and John Brody and all those guys. There was a guy named Cedric Hardman on their defensive line. You may have known him, Dave. Yep. Um, yeah, great player. And they, their pass rush back, the back then was called the gold rush. So I immediately dubbed uh, Nick Bosa, D. Ford is the two ends, DeForest Buckner, who's now an Indianapolis Colt, and uh, Eric Armstead, the, the modern-day version of the gold rush. They don't have that gold rush right now. D. Ford it doesn't get on the field. He's hurt with a bad, slow-to-heel, persistent back problem. DeForest Buckner plays for the Colts. Uh, they have gotten – they've moved Eric Armstead inside exclusively, and they've got D.J. Jones, number 93. He's a really good three-technique upfield penetrator kind of plays more of a two-eye, and then you've got the other end, whoever that may be, Arden Key or Samson Evacom or Charles Amenahue or whomever. But it's not the same. Bosa's better than he was at 19. Bosa's the best player. The two best players on the team are Nick Bosa and Trent Williams on offense, the left tackle, and then George. But George Kittle's been hurt a lot this year. So it's not been a great defense. Uh, Fred Warner's not playing nearly as well as he played last year when he was all-pro Fred. And they've had uh, injuries in the secondary. Losing Jason Barrett to a torn ACL first game of the year was, was something they still have not overcome. And in this game, we're, we're not going to have Emmanuel Mosley. Uh, he's out several weeks with a high ankle. So Dante Johnson, I think, will start at one corner. Josh Norman at the other. Josh is a the guy they attack. They're the best guy, clearly, in that, in that uh, cornerback room is the slot guy, the nickelback, Kwan Williams. The safeties play well. Jaquaski Tart, Jimmy Ward, and the new young guy, Talanoa Hufanga, is a good player. And they play a lot of dime, three safety, three corner defenses, Dave. But uh, some of the numbers that tell a story, some of them are misleading because how much the offense has played keep away with the ball. This is not, uh, it's not the 49er defense of 2019. And I would say it's not a championship caliber defense, but it is capable if the offense is, is staying true to their formula to being a good enough defense you can win with. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.